Welcome to Unbooking the Tankatory, the bonus series from Booking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, Tank Abbott faces Disco Inferno. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dillinger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in six playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. So how are you this week, Dan? I'm very well, mate. I may have mentioned on uh, an episode of um, Booking the Territory that may have released, or probably hasn't, but it's uh, just after WrestleMania week. I'm not a young man anymore. I stayed up for both nights. It's been a rough one, but it's all good because I get to see Tank Abbott versus Disco Inferno from 22 years ago. Yeah, superb. My parents came over and watched WrestleMania Night 1 with us, so uh, a couple of people in the 70s that have been watching wrestling since the 50s, maybe uh, maybe not out of choice, the, the, that missing generation where their parents loved it and their child loved it, but uh, they've, they've put up with it. My mum described Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks as the piss break, uh, again, <laughs> woman in her 70s, she thinks Sting should stop jumping off big things, which you know, I completely agree with, to be honest. It wasn't even on any of it. I was going to say. No, no, no. Just started watching wrestling and said Sting should stop j- jumping off big things. So, yeah, that that's absolutely fair. And uh, Cody Rhodes is no Cyanide Sid Cooper. Well, who is? Well, exactly. William Regal's favourite wrestler, Cyanide Sid Cooper. Yeah, and... and- Quite understandable, but you know, Cody Rhodes isn't even Jeff Jarrett, so yeah, yeah, so fair enough. That That's a woman in her 70s, who, as I say, been watching wrestling since the 50s. Opinions wrestling's a buffet, and, and seniority uh, holds a lot of uh, holds a lot of sway, in my opinion. That you were right, that is one active beer. <laughs> Sorry, Rob just calmed Rob down just, a bit, yeah. Rob just lifted his uh, lifted his glass to his lips, and uh, I've not seen that much head on a beer since last time he poured me a pint. Yeah, that's from the Garden Brewery. It's New England Pale Ale Number Six. I've had one of these before that, that wasn't this active, so it, it took me by surprise. Was that a Beer Fifty Two special? Yeah, they always are these Garden Breweries. Beer Fifty Two love them. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I think mine was uh, mine was quite active as well. So you're yeah. not alone. Are you drinking, Dan? No, I'm giving it a miss this week. Fair enough. Of course, I'm fucking drinking. <laughs> Ah, I um, thought you'd open the York chapter of the Temperance League. That'll be the day. The Weatherspoons in Keefley used to be the Temperance Hall. It's got this like thing in the stove <laughs> saying Temperance Hall. I don't like to give Weatherspoons credit for too much, but fair play. <laughs> but I'm drinking. I'm on uh, Brew York again. I'm on their uh, Kairuku Cold IPA, six point six percent. Was it six point eight? I can't see the can. Yeah, six point eight percent. It's a decent IPA, one of the better ones. I'm quite enjoying it. I'm more of a stout guy normally. And I'm going back to Northern Monk next if we uh, if we have time. And I'm going to go to OFS 065, which is a classic West Coast double IPA. Uh, and it's uh, it's 9.2%. Citra Incognito, Columbus, Idaho 7, Rakao, Mosaic, Citra and Centennial. Yes. In that, it's in collaboration or, 
or from a uh, recipe from Hong Kong. Superb. If we do get that far, I've got a Siren Futurist, which is a gluten-free session IPA at uh, 4.8%. Yeah, we we're just speaking off air about uh, how you can't drink the water in Reading unless it's passed through Siren Brewery. Exactly right. The water in Reading is like that of medieval times where it was safer to drink it in beer. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely fair enough. So the match we're covering today is Tank Abbott versus Disco Inferno. But before we get to that match, there is the Nitro preceding it on the 27th of March 2000. And there's a match involving Meng versus La Parker. There is. It was, I believe this was the spring break episode of Nitro. And one thing that struck me first as Men came out, his hair was fantastic. This was the Men I remember re-debuting in Royal Rumble 2001. Yeah, he would have won Haircut of the Night on an episode of on Booking the Territory, wouldn't he? He really would. Oh, absolutely. That, that hair was massive. We had a recap of Finlay attacking uh, Tank and then Tank and Meng fighting uh, through the crowd. And then things stay sort of good because LeBarker comes out. And we've got a recap yeah. of Finley quickly dispatching the Parker, and we get the air guitar on the chair. Yeah, and then it goes downhill because oh, it rapidly. Ed Ferrara's voiceover uh, for La Parker's promo, Skull Captain in the his house, immediately wanting to kick his bollocks up into his chin. Yeah, yeah the chairman of the board is living large on spring break. You don't and need the phone. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You don't need the It is shit. It, it is absolutely shit. Just uh, Ed Ferrara. I'll give, I'll give one thing credit for this segment, and it's LaParker's acting. Yes. Yeah, because he, he's trying to disavow that he's got anything to do with the words that are coming out of his mouth. Yeah, especially when he's, he goes to end the promo, does LaParker, having not said anything. And then Ferrara says, that I ain't finished talking yet, and we get more. Yeah, we get, we get what I do believe was a racial slur. Yeah, he's saying I'm not the kinks out of that Angela Davis looking natural. Um, I know, it, it, yeah, and we get that as well. It was, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give credence to the whole thing, but there was a reference to, um, there was a reference to a men's ethnicity in the jungle. Oh dear, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good at all. As a, Angela Davis was um, a member of the American Communist Party. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so there you go. The Parker puts the mic down, puts his hands up, and uh, stamps on it to try and disavow. <laughs> <laughs> See, Le Parker did well here. He, he, he was given a huge heap of chicken shit, and he's trying to make chicken salad. Have you seen any of the segments on MLW recently where Le Parker's doing his cooking show? No. Yeah, to see those. He's got his two sons with him. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> I'll try and remember to watch some after this. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Madden saying, why would that boy say that? <sighs> Fucking Madden. Uh-huh. Although actually before we get into the before we get into the very swift match, <laughs> there is a sign right at the end which summed up my feelings on most of it that said, This is really stupid. Yeah, I agree with you. It wasn't uh, much of a match. It men was on on top quick. Le Parker tried to fight back. He even got a chair shot to Meng's head, but it barely registered. Meng just gets the Tongan death grip for three. That's not fair, Dan. Meng went down to a knee, and that gave Le Parker time to do a little dance. Okay. 
that 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 happened. That's the best I can say about it. That happened. Lopaka's got one of the toughest wrestlers ever down to one knee, and he decides to do a little victory dance. Yeah, but this is a wrestler with a cooking show, so. No, this is a wrestler who will have a cooking show in the future. Well, exactly. If he hadn't done this dance, it might have jeopardised his chances of having that cooking show. <laughs> so, Ripley Parker, at that moment in time, rather than getting a victory over men and, men and advancing his career, would rather take a shot at being the wrestling version of that prong-guzzling cunt Jimmy Oliver. Yeah, basically. I think you've encapsulated it there. <laughs> career goals. Shout out to Marty of the uh, Marty and Fitch podcast for that description of Jamie Oliver. Did you see during the lockdown, Jamie Oliver was doing a cooking show and he was supposed to be like healthy food for kids, but his kids were running wild in the background and he had to give them crisps to like settle them down. So he's <laughs> like, oh, you know, fruit and veg and the, the kids there just eating loads of crisps in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so what what you want to give your kids is like, I don't know, like bits of cucumber, you know, fruit pieces, all the rest of it. Well, you shut up. I'll give you a space readiness if you just let me do my fucking programme. Yeah, yeah, and and the kids wouldn't eat the crap he'd made. That is superb. I love that. That's the most I've ever liked Jamie Oliver. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But more importantly, we get Tank Abbott out after the match to talk shit at Meng some more. Yeah, and then Finley attacks Tank from behind. Finley very much feels like the third wheel in this scenario. Yeah, he does. He thinks just because he had a match against Tank last week, he can yeah, keep sticking his oar in. Security is there trying to pull him apart. Yeah, it's all over very quick, but at least it's a nice little thing to uh, to keep it ticking over and keep it in the minds of the fans. Yeah, and Tank Abbott got a free holiday spring break. I can't imagine Tank enjoying things, apart from knocking people out. He enjoys getting paid. Oh, so if he was paid to be there, he probably enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've just got, I've just got a great image of Tank just feet up on the beach with a cocktail and a beer, and the pay window next to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somebody's had to set up a mock pay window. Just gives <laughs> him money. It just gives him money every time he wants to go get a drink. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect Tank Abbott uh, scenario, really, doesn't it? So then we roll on to the Thunder on the 29th of March. We've got Bobby Heenan and Mike Tenay on the commentary. Great combo. You really yeah. can't lose with that combo. I love those two together. Obviously, they're talking about the announcement that Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo are going to be taking over next week. Yeah, big news. And they, uh, they really did a good job. I'm hyping it, you know, throughout the show, could canvas an opinion of the uh, the wrestlers. Yeah, it was sort of sprinkled throughout the show. The, the first match we get is a rematch from last week. It's Chris Candito versus Chavo Guerrero. Yeah, I, I actually watched a bit of that. It was it was quite annoying because those two on paper is a great match. Yeah, and they, they got to show a flash of it, but then there was a very Charles Robinson took a really awkward bump to the floor. And then it just all descended into shenanigans with the artist and, and Mark Modest interfering. Yeah, Mark Modest, yeah, he's making his uh, WCW debut. I don't think we're going to see much more of him going forward, but yeah, that was a bit weird. I think it's. Uh, I think Mark Modest might be one for a uh, a segment on One Man's Meat. Yeah, well, I don't even know if he's <laughs> that relevant. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> one Man's Meat is another man's garbage. 
Yeah. So then we get Dustin Rhodes' opinion on Bischoff and Russo. And, yeah, I didn't watch uh, these bits. To be honest, I, I, I got a bit of I got a bit of throughout this show, but I didn't bother watching any of the uh, the opinion pieces apart from one, obviously. Some of them felt like they were working in character, and some of them felt shoot. Mm. You know, so getting their uh, the proper opinions on there. We get Billy Billy Kidman giving his opinion on uh, Russo and Bischoff, and Kidman saying that Russo gives everyone a chance, but. Bischoff uh, is there working with the established stars, you know, again, mm. it's a kind of narrative that's, that's been plugged before. Which in theory uh, sounds great. Yeah. We get a video package. It's a pro-celebrity basketball game between the Backstreet Boys and WCW. Oh, if only we'd seen this somewhere before and, <laughs> and had heard of it. Yeah, that WCW deep cuts. Uh, stole our thunder like uh, a week in advance, didn't they? By tweeting uh, yes. it out, yeah. <laughs> I like that as well. Stole our thunder. Yeah, on thunder. Yeah, the <laughs> god of thunder. Yeah, the disappointment of oh. thunder. Building yeah. up for that, I, I made my notes and stuff, and then tweeted. I was like, oh, couldn't you wait? But never mind. The levels on this show. Yeah, the delay we have anyway. Yeah, forgot about it, by the Yeah, uh, we get hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Barbarian for the TV title. Yeah, I'll be honest, I'll skip this match. Yeah. Duggan manages to knock himself out on a headbutt with the Barbarian. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, not great. But, yeah, he managed to get himself up and he does the old glory and uh, the one, two, three, and Haxar wins. Yeah, we get Tori Wilson's opinion on Russo and Bischoff. Uh, she's saying um, it'll be good if they can work together well. Yeah, it probably would have been if they could have worked together. Yeah. I'd still be going if they could. Yeah. Norman Smiley's opinion, saying that Bischoff hired him, and Russo really got behind his character. So, you know, splinters from sitting on the fence there, Norman. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. The cat comes out. He says he doesn't want to fight. He uh, came here to dance. Why is he a fucking wrestler, then? Well... Lord only knows. Uh, he's going to end up having a match. In fact, he's going to sub himself out. He's supposed to have a match against Dustin Rhodes, uh, but he's going to sub in Mr. Jones, uh, the former Vincent, Shane, Virgil, Curly Bill, Mike Jones. Yeah. And the best bit about this, out of all the all of Cat's talking, all of you know the action, what little action there was in the ring, the best part of all this was Terry Funk turning up. Well, it was, yeah, because uh, the worst thing about this is Dustin Rhodes still getting the use out of his seven shirt and pants. Yeah, so bad. It's such bad gear. Oh, I've spent money on it. Oh, this this wasn't what I intended to do. Yeah, well, you fucking turn up in the gear for the next six months, Dustin. Yeah. I mean, thing is, I, being a Yorkshireman, I, I fully, and you will understand this as well, I fully understand getting your money's worth out of what you paid for, but it doesn't mean it was good. <laughs> no. It, it does not. We get Tank Abbott's opinions on Russo and Bischoff, which we'll cover in a minute. We get Kurt Henning's opinion on Russo and Bischoff. Um, yeah. This was this was interesting. Kurt Henning was, from what I remember, quite pro-Russo, obviously, from the powers that be days. Yes. Yeah, he was. He said Russo knows that he can go. Uh, he says Bischoff knows what he's doing backstage. So, yeah, really head Sorry, um, quick sidebar on, uh, on Kurt Henning. I saw a thing on, it was on Facebook, it was on a wrestling group on Facebook, and it was a a quote from, uh, apparently Brock Lesnar 
released a book at some point, uh, or somebody released one on it on his on his behalf. There's a, a section where Brock's talking about Kurt Hennig. Yeah. And he's saying that basically saying how much he misses Kurt Hennig and how yeah. Hennig said something about wrestling that always stuck with him. And it was something along the lines of you've got to get in to get out. Yeah. Meaning that get into wrestling by all means, but you've got to have a plan to be out of it by a certain point. Yeah. Which kind of rings true with Brock's mentality in that he never he never sticks around too long. Brock's always been an attraction. You don't need to see Brock Lesnar every week. Brock in the build-up to Mania was brilliant and, you know, quite rightly was there more often than not, but it was there was a great sort of few lines about how he thinks about Kurt Hennig almost every day. Wow. And he even said apparently by all accounts him and Hennig were were quite close backstage because he, he said um, in relation to that getting in and getting out, he, he said something along the lines of Kurt got got out of wrestling in you know in the in the worst way possible by dying. You know yeah. what a rib, what a rib after telling me that for so long about getting in and getting out, which. Wow. Oh, you know, can come across as quite cool, but I think he's quite obviously meant as a yeah. term of endearment. You know, Kurt Hennig and Notorious Ribber and all of that. Uh, it's just something that I didn't ever think, ever think about really of, of Lesnar's no. early career. You just don't think of Lesnar as, as having many many friends or holding too many people in that high regard. But I think it just speaks to how how great Hennig was and you know yeah. how great his mind for the business was and and how he tried to. Sort of look after look after the younger guys in his later his later days. Yeah, oh, it's great to hear that. The next segment uh, we get we get Miss Hancock interrupting three count. Sugar Shane Helms is there saying if you aren't down with the three count, then you just don't count. Uh, while the music's playing, there's a needle scratch. Miss Hancock's music hits, and Miss Hancock says that she has two guys that are real studs, Latin America's most desirable men, and it's Silver King and El Dandy in their Power Rangers and glitter in the hair gimmick. Drink. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) So so during the three count, which is uh, Shane Helms and Shannon Moore versus uh, Los Fabiosos, Evan Courageous is trying to chat up Miss Hancock at ringside. Um, Eventually, uh, Los Fabiosos go over. Yeah, I watched watched a little bit of this. It was it was forgettable. Yeah, it was. Then we get Chavo's uh, opinions on Russo and Bischoff. Uh, he thinks it could be a winning formula. They ask the cat his opinions, and uh, he asks, "Are they coming back?" <laughs> Fucking cat! What a douche. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone's saying the same sort of thing, so. I thought that was quite, yeah. you know, he sort of turned it on its head, really. We'll get the segment we're going to cover, so we'll just skip past that. Then we get Ron Harris's opinions on Russo versus Bischoff. And uh, he's saying that uh, Russo and Bischoff are going to bring the 1975 booking style into the 21st century. So, yeah. Um, Ron Harris thinks that it's been a 1975 booking style up to this point. Having reviewed wrestling from 1970, uh, I can't say that uh, Sullivan, Taylor and Ferrara have been as good as the 1970s, uh, if only, to be honest, uh, would be uh, my review of that. Uh, And then we get Jay Biggs giving his opinion. He said that Russo got him back into wrestling um, and he doesn't know Bischoff, so a bit of an unknown factor for him there. 
I quite like that from Jay Biggs, though. It was it was actually a bit of reality and a bit of honesty. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to just big him up for the sake of it, sort of thing. Next, we get Jeff Jarrett out as US champion and is defending Ooh. against Booker T. Yeah, shockingly, I skipped that one. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett's out there with the Nitro girls. Uh, and uh, again, in my notes, fucking Harris brothers uh, who attack Booker T on the outside. Booker T ends up winning by disqualification. Yeah, I'm not asked about watching that. I don't want to see Jarrett or the Harris brothers. Yeah, the Harris Buggers brothers attack Charles Robinson. And <laughs> Did you just it. call them the Harris Buggers? Buggers, yeah. Bugger Red. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the undertaker was called. They get Miss Hancock's opinion on Russo and Bischoff. She really enjoyed working with Vince Russo and his ideas. Then we get uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. A bit more of a kayfabe promo from Duggan here. Saying that uh, Bischoff thinks that Hacksaw is burnt out and Russo only thinks he's good enough to be a janitor. So he's staying in character for that one. And then next we get Harlem Heat 2000. It's Big T and Stevie Ray with Jay Biggs and Cash. And they're going to face the Mama Lukes. And there's going to be no Disco Inferno because of what happened earlier in the show with what that. Yeah. I actually did watch a little bit of this. I've tried to. I lost interest very quickly. <laughs> well, again, a disqualification win for the Pisons in this one. The camera didn't actually catch Stevie Ray hitting Big Vito with the slapjack. So it's a disqualification, but the camera work doesn't doesn't catch it. So you, you kind of miss the nuance of it. Um, oh yeah. Vampiro feels that finally WCW has a good, strong group of leaders in place, uh, so it's hopeful for the future. Uh, Shannon Moore <laughs> um, says Bischoff gave him his chance, and uh, Vince Russo brought the ratings up before he left, so Shannon Moore's hopeful for the future. Accurate. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we said it over and over again, you know, people assume the ratings went down when Russo was there, you know, clearly, and they said at the time, and it actually happened, the ratings went up when Russo was there, so, you know, they're clear, clearly affecting it. Well, you know, it's just maths, really. You can look at the numbers. Then we get Billy Kidman, he's out with Tory, and he's going to go against Big Ron Harris. No, thank you. I'd rather watch someone... I'd rather watch Nob's Dog. Yeah, it's, a, it's another disqualification win on this one. Uh, Kidman wins this one. There's a hell of a lot of DQs on this. I, I, sh- I should have said dog knobs. Dog knobs. Jesus. Because that's the next match. It's dog knobs. Well, it, it is, yeah. The dog knobbers. The dog knobbers explode in the next match. <laughs> um, you've missed out there, though, that Shane Helms has said that Russo's proved he's capable of getting people over and Bischoff hired him and then joined the Bulls saying that Bischoff did a wonderful job before he got burnt out and Russo has a point to prove. And then, yeah, as you say, the dog knob has exploded and the referee is bringing the dog to the ring on a lead. The dog knob has exploded, not inside an Alsatian this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they left the dog in the desert, but he found his way back, unfortunately. Again, go to WCW Deep Cuts for some fantastic takes on uh, on the dog. On dog, it's not the dog; it's just dog. Yeah, it's yeah. a man who thought he was a dog, like Frog. Was a man that thought he was a frog. I like Mister Iguana in AAA. 
Yeah, he's the best reptile. Oh, I don't know. There's Luchasaurus isn't. I don't know who is the best. I reptile. want. I want team. I want Mr. Iguana to team with Luchasaurus and be called Team Godzilla. Yeah, and Iguana's pretty um, underwhelming compared to the Godzilla, though. You know, it's like yeah, but Godzilla, Godzilla was an iguana. All right, and and then he got iguana that was exposed to the radiation to the rid to the radiation of like nuclear testing in the Pacific. So if he's an iguana, why does he live underwater? Because fuck you, he does what he wants. <laughs> Fair enough. Then we get Buff Bagwell's opinion. He's saying that uh, Eric Bischoff uh, was the first guy to push him. Then Vince Russo's um, trying to get the young guys over. It's, uh, it's true. Is it, is it weird that I can still detest Buff Bagwell, the character on WCW, but find 2022 Buff Bagwell's Twitter one of the best things ever? Buff Bagwell won Twitter today. He said that independent research has shown that Buff is the stuff. And contrary to the year 2000, I actually believe it in yeah. 2022. Buff is the stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm rooting for Buff. I hope everything works out with you know, the stuff he's doing with DDP. He's, he's been a revelation on Twitter. It's, a bit, it's going to be a weird comparison, but did you see when Neville Southall had his sort of education on like LGBTQ things and, and, and various other aspects of life that he just previously... Just never considered or never thought of. No, I've not it's seen that. But Neville's pretty left wing, isn't he? So I would have thought it would have been. Yeah, he was anyway. But he was anyway. But he went out of his way to to educate himself on a on a wide array of topics yeah. that he just just never considered. It just never yeah. entered his mind. It was nothing nothing malicious or anything like that. I feel like Buff's on a similar journey. It's like a similar. A similar track and it's it's just yeah. been great to see yeah yeah well i've always thought uh buff's great to be honest um i think i think he got a unfair deal you know when uh, wwf or wcw uh, and it's a, a crying shame that so much of his career he, he was out of wrestling uh, we spoke yeah. about Tully Branchard on the um, episode with uh, Lauren, which was recorded from Booking the uh, Territory, and you know another another wrestler that spent a long time, prime years away from the business. But yeah, I think I think Buff's definitely in that category. We get Buff Bagwell versus La Parker. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch this. I was gonna, but time. Buff's wife is in the crowd with a Buffy's hot boob tube. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God, it was so easy to dislike. He was a shameless self-promoter. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah, we get the Ed Ferrara, La Parker promo again on this one. Uh, La Parker's dropping the mic and he pulls out a sign that says, I'm sorry. Don't want to give it credit because it's Ferrara, but that's quite good on La Parker's part. Yeah. Buff shakes his hand and then La Parker attacks Buff. So he's using the distraction. It's quite a competitive match. Buff goes on to win. In my notes, in big letters, Buff is over. Yeah, Buff, Buff was over huge. Look, yeah. you know, love, love him or loathe him as a character in, in this, uh, you know, WCW in general. We, we, we say about Oreg Williams in, in, uh, in Carnarvon and, and Buff in Atlanta and, you know, in the whole WCW yeah. region. Massive. 
Massive, absolutely massive. Rick Flair says that he couldn't possibly tell you in 10 seconds what his opinion on Russo and Bischoff is, and the best thing to do would be to call his lawyer. Now, Rick Flair has a lot of animosity against both of them. Um, mm. Bischoff fired him for the whole, you know, going to watch the Reed Flair amateur wrestling matches, and uh, he believed that uh, Russo was never going to bring him back, sort of thing, when he wrote him out. Uh, of storyline, although that had happened to him previously, but yeah, it's a bit bit strange for you know holding that much against somebody for a perceived slight. I think you know the rest of the top of the card are quite paranoid though. You know they're, they're wanting to keep the position, and, and certainly uh, someone like Ric Flair, who is mm-hmm. that bit older, uh, and you know can see that this is someone that's pushing younger talent, probably is quite worried about whether they bring them back. Yeah, I suppose it's true to character. Yeah. So the next match is a Vampiro versus The Wall. This was sort of a a high period for The Wall. I think I'm sure they tried him out against Hulk Hogan in the previous Nitro. Yeah, they'd said that they'd put a a $500,000 bounty on Hogan. I mean, they'd probably have saved money on the amount of money they're having to pay him to turn up to the damn shows. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's um, fucking Hogan. Yeah. The wall yeets Piro over his head onto the uh, ropes, and uh, I've put in my notes, wow. Yeah. Again, I've not seen this match, but I I can well imagine. Vampiro, there's a chair shot to the wall, ends up going through a table on the outside, it ends up being a DQ. But the wall gets up and, um, you know, the security out there to stop him, um, but they keep fighting. So it's another DQ. Nine matches, four DQs and a no contest on this card. Shenanigans bullshit. Sullivan! (laughs) Sullivan! I can't do that too loud as people are sleeping in the house. We should record an audio clip of us both just going, Sullivan! Um. Yeah. Well, uh, ironically, um, we're moving out of the Sullivan period now, so it's too late now. You know, well, uh, people have spent long enough blaming Bischoff for everything. Well, Why can't yeah. blame Sullivan? Well, w- there's a good reason for that, because it's all Terry Taylor's fault. Fuck Terry Taylor. Fuck Terry Taylor, yeah. Terry Taylor, Ed Ferrara, yeah, those are the two people. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you just say took Ferry Taylor? No, I said... Terry Taylor, Ed Ferrara, those are the two people you need to blame. No, before that. No, no, that's what I said. Hmm. So when Tank Abbott is asked to give his opinions on Russo and Bischoff, the interviewer said the boys in the back have been talking about it all day. Um, how do you feel about um, the return of Bischoff and Russo? And Tank Abbott says he thinks it's a good thing. Both have proven track records. If they put their minds together, only good can come from it. That felt like somebody told him to say it. Possibly. Because Tank, yeah. because Tank Abbott wouldn't have given a fuck as long as he kept getting to knock people out and get paid. It depends how close he was to the pay window. They, they might have had like a fishing rod with <laughs> a wad of $100 bills on it and they were dangling in front of him. Read, read the tank, read the thing. See that? See that up there? Read the board. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So before this match is going to happen, Terry Taylor 
Ed Ferrara and Kevin Sullivan are going to log into LinkedIn and they're going to look at the characteristics that Disco Inferno might have to make him a suitable opponent for Tank Abbott. Right, and if you'll if you'll permit me, Rob, I've actually done the dive into LinkedIn to see what characteristics he has. Oh, you go for it. He's Disco Inferno. He's got a punchable face, and people want to see him get knocked out. That's fair enough. He, he debuts in nineteen ninety one. He was the um, jo- the Georgia Independent Circuit in ninety two ninety three. Is in USWA ninety five. He signs for WCW. He, he sort of working as a bit of a, a tweener, sort of with the gimmick that's um, a little bit off with the crowd, but he's still working as a heel. In early ninety seven, he's fired by WCW for refusing to put over Jacqueline, and. Oh, right. During this period, there's actually silhouettes of him in the WWF magazine about who's coming soon, and it's speculated that this was going to be the person that Honky Tonk Man was managing that turns out in the end to be Rockabilly when Disco Inferno doesn't sign. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's one way to make that worse. Apparently, he failed his phone interview with Bruce Pritchard, because that's the best way to sign, an inter- to sign a wrestler. I've heard about this phone interviews. What absolute harsh shit. Yeah. He returns to WCW in the September and wins the TV title from Alex Wright. Uh, he'll let a tag with Alex Wright in uh, in The Dancing Fools. What a waste of Alex Wright. <laughs> Berlin. In October, he actually loses to Jacqueline um, at Halloween Havoc, so he's made to do the job eventually. In 99, he's a member of the NWA Wolfpack. I mentioned a little while back, and I think it might have been on the UTT recording about scraping the bottom of the barrel. But that's at the point the NWO scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think Horace Hogan is the bottom of the NWO barrel. That's Horace Hogan to you. That is Horace Hogan, yeah. In 99, he wins the Cruiserweight <laughs> Championship, and then he goes into. He's not the... a Cruiserweight. I, very... I mean, Jericho was a Cruiserweight in WCW, for crying out loud. And then they go into the Mameluke storyline. Disco Inferno owes money. To, um, they, they send Big Vito and Johnny the Bill to uh, collect it from him. And then he's given the the choice of uh, you know being beaten up or, or working for the family. And he chooses to work for the family. On the 8th of March 99, he signs a three-year contract. Uh, year one and year two for 300000 And year three for 350000 So at this point, you can get two point. One seven Disco Infernos for a Tank Abbott. I'd rather have Tank Abbott's pinky toe than Disco Inferno. Yeah. Um, one thing probably worth saying, Disco Inferno is sat in the creative meetings at this point. So, you know... That, explains, gonna... that explains how Disco Inferno keeps getting on TV. Uh, quite, quite possibly, quite possibly. So the start of the segment, uh, the Pisons come out with Disco Inferno, but the graphic still calls them Mamelukes. Oh, one thing I wanted to say, was the was their music a dub? Because if it was, then it's one of the better dubs. It just it seemed that way because... No, it, it's the original, that Godfather theme type. Wow, there was really that little reaction for him. <laughs> that, that's fair enough, but I loved that theme. Yeah, no, I did. I did, yeah. I just... The crowd was so muted. Mm. I could see that certain people were doing things, but the music was so loud. Yeah. It just overshadowed everything, so I thought it must have been a dub. 
Yeah, I mean, they rebrand Vito a bit later on as sort of this stickball player or whatever, and he does get quite a big pop from the crowd at that point. But yeah, but I, I always loved it with the music and the work that sound the indies thereafter, and I thought it was great. But yeah, from not, not really engaged with the crowd. Tony Siobhan is saying that there seems to be a little bit of friction in the camp of the Mamelukes uh, at the time, and the Mamelukes are, are staring daggers at Disco Inferno. They certainly uh, were when it got going. Yeah. Disco Inferno said that he'd done some work on the contracts and the winner of the match with Harlem Heat is going to get a number one contenders match. Uh, and asking Vito what he thinks about that. And uh, Vito just yawns. And John, then Johnny the Bull threatens to break his thumbs. Firm but fair, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it it's the least Disco deserves. Yeah. Uh, and Disco saying they should concentrate on breaking ha- Harlem Heat's thumbs and the Harris Brothers' thumbs. Belts are going to come back to the Pisons, uh, and then he can all thank me. And Johnny the Bull uh, stops Disco Inferno leaving the ring. So yeah, Johnny the Bull stops him leaving. He's saying, you know, it was the kind of classic, where do you think you're going, which was really very intimidating. Yeah, it was, it was. Uh, and then Vito's saying that we aren't Mamelukes, we're Pisons. And then he's saying to Disco Inferno that, um, you know, he's been uh, tricking them and bullcrapping them and that they can get a, a shot on their own. They don't, they don't need Disco mm. Inferno's help. Uh, and basically saying that uh, until Disco Inferno can learn to be a good manager, they're going to be Disco Inferno's manager. Did you hear um, Mike Tanay's line when Disco says he's a manager, not a wrestler? And I think it was Tanay Pipes, and he's proved that over several years. Yeah, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Vito said that people for your listening and viewing pleasure Italian style, we've booked a match tonight. A tough ruffian guy named Tank Abbott. And Tank Abbott's music. Oh, yeah, how great is this? Disco Inferno about to get the piss beat out of him by Tank motherfucking Abbott. <laughs> and Mike Tanay shouts, oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> and Tank comes out. And he's looking and he looks, and he looks pissed. <laughs> it really does. The Disco Inferno tries to run away, but then he sees Tank Abbott. <laughs> and by um, the way, just, just for the fashion update, Tank Abbott's got some lovely navy blue shorts on. He does, yeah. yeah. He's, he's gone off his pink striped shorts he's into the navy blue. And, he's diversifying uh, his character. Yeah. Mike Tanay says, did you ever see anyone put the brakes on so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> um, Bobby Heenan said he just saw the colour of Disco Inferno's face change. Oh, it's, it's great. Them two bigging up Tank is just magical. Yeah, it is. Bobby Heenan loved Tank Abbott, didn't he? I wish I wish anyone loved me as much as Bobby Heenan loved Tank Abbott. Yeah, and <laughs> I loved that the Mamelukes were sort of stood in, uh, stood in the corners of the ring to sort of stop Disco Inferno leaving. Yeah. Someone holds up a, ta- a sign that says Tank Alpha Male. Yeah, I spotted that. It's just uh, true. He's the king. <laughs> Bobby Heenan shouts, Disco, offer him some money. Yeah. <laughs> Which probably would work with Tank Abbott, as we've already established. <laughs> I mean, it just means Disco paid to get knocked out. Yeah. Disco Inferno does what Wing Commander Nash would do if um, Steven was about to punch him. <laughs> he just falls to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretends to faint, and it. I, I've put. Oh, sorry, my notes just go. Pretends to faint in brackets. Shit house. 
the Mamelukes leave. Disco looks up and then tanks to them. He just picks him up and slams him. But did you hear what Bobby Heenan said when Disco Inferno fainted? <laughs> he said, this is disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. I want to see Abbott knock him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bobby Heenan expressing the will of the people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Vito says, I know you want to fight. That's why we called you out. And, and Disco sort of looks up. Uh, he's supposed to be fainted, but he like opens his eyes and then pretends he's unconscious again. That's so good. And Mike today shouting, he just lifted his head, he just lifted his head. Normally snitches get stitches, but today got a medal. He did. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. Tank picks Disco up and slams him down and the Mamelukes get out of the ring. Mike today oh, shouts, so it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and... Yeah. Uh, the is that in, in the last few episodes that we, we've covered, Disco Inferno has actually got quite a lot of offence in, in the matches. That is, it, you know, albeit he's lost the matches, but it, he's got quite a lot of offence until they catch him. But this is not the case this time. Tank Abbott picks him up and does the fireman's carry yeet across the ring. Picks him oh, up lovely. Pushes him into the corner. Disco's trying to punch his back, but uh, Tank punches to the ribs and Disco's down. Unlike most opponents where he goes to the ribs and he's getting a few good shots in, with Disco, he gets one to the body and then a massive forearm. Yeah. And that's enough to crumple Disco, which I really liked. It really sold Disco as what he is, which is an absolute shithouse. Yeah. And even when Disco tried to get the boot up, Tank catches it. Yes, he does. Yeah, he, he goes for the kick and he catches it. And then Tank pulls him, but... Disco's shoe comes off in Tank Abbott's hand. No, it's, it's, again, just comedy brilliance. Yeah, uh, and while uh, Disco's confused, only in one shoe, straight right. And do you know what? I've got a feeling that might win it for him, for Tank. Yeah, yeah. Tank puts the shoe on Disco's face. <laughs> it's, it's another thing with Tank and boots to the face. Yeah, it's like, you know, this is your shoe. It belongs on your face. Uh, and, yeah. and he's on his way home. Um, Via the pay window. Yeah. Bobby Heenan says he nailed him. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tank habit straight, right? Nobody's getting up. And Mike Cheney asked Bobby Heenan, are you disappointed now? And Bobby Heenan said, no, I liked that. <laughs> Expressing the opinion of the vast majority of people. Yeah. So Tank is now 17-3-1. That's, as far as wrestling goes, that's not bad. And I tell you what, this was genuinely so entertaining seeing Tank Abbott be a party to fucking over Disco Inferno. Yeah. No, it was. It was, it was really good. It was, it was Tank's sort of killer shtick with a comedy twist. And it, I, th- I think it was kind of much needed at this point just to freshen things up a little bit. As much as I've been enjoying the stuff with men, I don't mind just for this one thing for, and for the narrative purpose that was given. I don't mind Tank being used for this. Yeah, no, completely agree. So we've had some interaction on at UTT Tank. Uh, Tony Silver at Lieutenant Silver has uh, said that he has to say uh, El Dandy and Su- Silver King with the power range and makeover that we've covered on Unbooking the Tank Atari before. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that, Tony. Yeah, uh, we've also had some Tankacy booking. So, Marvellous. 
We put out the tweet, Tank Abbott famously appeared on an episode of Friends when he had an MMA match against Monica's boyfriend, Pete. But if you could see Tank Abbott knock out a character from any sitcom, who would it be? Ross from Friends. You said Ross from Friends, exactly. And Millwall Chris replied that was due to happen, but uh, Swimmer pulled his creative card out. It never happened. I knew he was a politicking fucker. Yeah. I hate Ross from Friends so much. The gaslighting, emotionally manipulative fucking asshole. Sorry. Uh, well, he needs Tank Abbott, doesn't he? Notice S.A. Rios at Silence but underscore Kenny said uh, easily Dwight from The Office. I've never really watched The Office, so I don't have a frame of reference. Yeah, well, I think there's a, a couple of Office type ones here, but yeah, uh, I'd love to see that. Chris Bellis at Real Chris Bellis said that he was going to go for uh, Chris Finch, uh, Finchy from the British office. So uh, another one there. But he said because he's evil, he'd also put in Mrs. Slocum from Are You Being Served? I think Mrs. Slocum could take it. She's already beaten Jackie Palo. Well, exactly. I said that to Chris. I said, you know, she's got a victory over one of the biggest names in wrestling. You know, that, that is the one person I could see standing at. You know, she might have a chance. Not a good chance, but a chance against Stan Gabbert. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if if she's got a pussy with her, then Mrs. Slocum's going to win. Yeah, definitely. I said Lee Mack, he might not be going out, but I'd love to see Tank Abbott put his lights out. What you got against Lee Mack? I like Lee Mack. I don't like Lee Mack in not going out. Once a sitcom goes to BBC One, it becomes a shitcom. Fair. So, yeah, it's more it's more of that. Jason White at JM White 317 said that he wanted Tank Abbott to face uh, Tuko Salamanca from Breaking Bad. We've had that pointed out. That's not a sitcom, but Tank Abbott can still knock him out. That's uh, absolutely... Yeah, um, if you expand it to wider TV, I can I can see that. Yeah. Sarah Abturd Ferguson wanted to see Tank Abbott knock out Penelope Keith. We did try and clarify if that was Margot from The Good Life or Audrey from To The Manor Born. Sarah said both, but preferably he'd knock out Margot from The Good Life. I've not seen enough of The Good Life or To The Manor Born to know which to know who she was. Same actress, though. That's getting knocked out by Tank Abbott. Yeah, I know, but, it, it, but the characters themselves, I don't know which one's more hateable. Chris Page, uh, a.k.a. Oz, from Deadshot Oz, said that he'd get a lot of flack for this, but uh, uh, Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory's reaction would be hilarious. I kind of get it, yeah. Drunken Eli at Giant Ranger 115 said that uh, he'd also want to see that, but he'd been beaten to it, and we pointed out that Tank Abbott can return the next season. That's fine. Yeah, and the thing is, with Big Bang characters... I'd put forward um, Barry Kripke. Yes, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see Dan Gabbard spark him out. Yeah. <laughs> ben at Witticisms of Ben proved that not everybody loves Raymond because he'd like to see Dan Gabbard knock out Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. I've, I've only watched a limited amount of Everybody Loves Raymond and I know enough to know that I, I think I prefer Robert. Wasn't Robert one of the voiceovers for the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah so a little little connection there. Yeah, I think there was also, I don't know what it was, but it was, you know, there's certain scenes in sitcoms that sort of hit way emotionally harder than they should. 
like the uh, in Fresh Prince of Bel Air when Will Smith's talking about his dad that you know doesn't want him and all that, and it gets very heavy. Robert, I'm sure I've seen a scene of Everybody Loves Raymond where Robert goes off on one of them, and it's like, God damn, this guy can actually really act. Yeah. Don't know why I felt that was relevant, but there you go. No, well, there you go. So where can people find you now? Uh, on the internet somewhere, probably. Uh, probably at, at Dan Griffin 21 usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum of six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can also hear me on the Doctor Who pod with Cy Powell, talking uh, alternately classic Who and new Who, seeing what lands for each of us, uh, seeing what lands with the classic Who for me, what lands with the new Who for Cy. Uh, you can find me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the follow, so I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. You can find on the same feed as this, the main show on Booking the Territory, where we're currently going through the first and last of wrestling. And season one, we went through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. So really worth going back in the archives for that. Uh, you can also, on the same feed, hear the One Man's Meat podcast, where real Chris Bellis and Danny at Scottish Juggalo are absolutely knocking it out of the park. The forgotten storylines, the oddities of wrestling, that kind of thing. So check that out. In terms of where we go from here, Tank Abbott doesn't actually have any matches in the month of April. He's going to be on a few shows, he's going to be cutting promos, that kind of thing. So we thought, because we're covering the in-ring career of Tank Abbott, and you know that's what we've said all along, that we're going to go a little bit of a different direction. There's going to be a little bit of spin-off where Tank is going to talk rather than fight, and we're going to get... Real Chris Bellis and Danny at Scottish Juggalo in to cover that period where Tank Abbott's cutting promos, not getting involved in the matches uh, for the month of April. We're going to have a mini spin-off series. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It, Quite frankly, it's shocking that Tank didn't have a match in the month of April, but uh, very excited to see uh, what Real Chris Bellis and uh, and Scottish Juggalo Danny make of Tank's promos. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, I'm sure those lads will knock it out of the park. So we will see you in May 2000. See you in the past. Thank you for listening. I'm not a wrestler, you know this. Yeah, he's proven that for years. So people, for your listening and viewing pleasure, I know Italian style, we booked you with a match tonight. A tough, rugged guy named Tank Abbott. Oh, my yeah. Oh yeah, I love it! Tank Abbott against the Disco Inferno! Uh oh, you ever seen anybody?